in many ways is a prequel to the life of the Jewish people living in the Promised Land. The Israelite people's 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, which accounts for most of the five books of Moses, is the perfect blank slate for the biblical screenwriters to do some storyboarding. They already know the story of the Israelites living in the land of Canaan. Now they can help influence how the Jewish people's story will unfold in the future. Take, for example, in this week's Torah portion, Shoftim. Imagine for a moment, if you will, that the biblical writers are sitting around a table and they are angry and frustrated. They know from centuries and history and their own experience the deep flaws of the institution of a monarchy. That is, one king, often with the elevated status of being a god. In some generations, it's a benevolent king, and the people are treated reasonably well. In other generations, it's a king only out for his own self-aggrandizement, and the people don't fare so well. So instead of being whipsawed at the whim of the latest king, the biblical writers have the chutzpah, to create a new paradigm of governance. They are well aware of the prevailing culture of monarchies in the ancient Mesopotamian world, and they're not ready quite yet to do away with that system. They decide, though, to plant the seeds to transform it. Here's what they write with Moses as the speaker. If after you have entered the land that the Lord your God has assigned to you and taken possession of it and settled into it, you decide, I will set a king over me. You shall be free to set a king over yourself, one chosen by the Lord your God. Be sure to set as king over yourself one of your own people, you must not set a foreigner over you or one who is not your kinsman. When he is seated on his throne, listen to this. He shall have a copy of this Torah written for him on a scroll. Let it remain with him and let him read it all his life. So he may learn to revere the Lord his God to observe faithfully every word of this Torah, as well as the laws. Thus, he will not act haughtily towards his fellows or deviate from the mitzvot. My goodness, Torah is an affirmation of the power of words to create culture. This primary value of words is established at the very beginning of Torah, embedded in our creation story, actually revolutionizing creation stories. Vayomer Elohim, Yihior, and God said, 
and God spoke, used words, and there was light. For tonight, Torah plants a seed to limit the power and prestige of human authorities. This foreshadows the plight of the prophet Samuel, as we will read in the book of Samuels, but the people would not listen to Samuel's warnings against the institution of a monarchy. No, the people said, we must have a king over us that we may be like all the other nations. Let our king rule over us. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed their demands and appoint a king over them. One of Torah's boldest tensions is our reverence for God as creator and ultimate ruler and God's insistence for human beings to serve as God's partners on earth. God places us on earth to be flag bearers of morality, kindness, and compassion. Of course, models of human governance have evolved from Torah's ancient world. Some five year, 500 years later, we see the emergence of democracy in ancient Greece, introducing the notion of a social contract that enshrines the rights of citizens, curtailing the power of the state. One of the most remarkable speeches from ancient Greece, recorded by the Greek historian And I now have a Thucydides. There we go, Thucydides. Um, it is Pericles' funeral oration, where he speaks of the system of government that that the Athenians died for. So I'm just going to read a little bit of Pericles' funeral oration. Let me say that our system of government does not copy the institutions of our neighbors. It is more the case of our being a model to others than of our imitating anyone else. Our constitution is called a democracy because power is in the hands not of a minority but of the whole people. When it is a question of settling private disputes, everyone is equal before the law. When it is a question of putting one person before another in positions of public responsibility, what counts is not membership of a particular class, but the actual ability which a human being possesses. We are free and tolerant in our private lives, but in public affairs, we keep to the law. This is because it commands our deep respect. This is all to be clear that American democracy has roots going back some 2,500 years and setting limits on authorities going back to the Bible. Of course, the cornerstone of democracy and self-representation is the right to vote, everyone's right to vote. 
and that right originally enshrined in our Constitution for white men not predisposed to share the power of voting, it would take 144 years for women to fight for the right to vote. And we celebrate the 100th anniversary this week of women's suffrage. It would be the unlikely southern state of Tennessee to be the 36th state pushing the ratification of the 19th Amendment over the top. I love the story of the razor-thin margin that assured victory. State Representative, Tennessee State Representative Harry T. Byrne, a confirmed anti-suffrage suffragist, received a letter from his mother just before the vote. Be a good boy, she wrote, and urged him to help Cat, referring to pro-suffrage leader Carrie Chapman Cat, help Cat put the rat in ratification. Well, my goodness, the power of mothers and women, as Harry Byrne would cast the deciding vote in favor of ratification. That was 100 years ago, and it would take another four decades for President Johnson to sign the Voting Rights Act for which men and women of color laid down their lives to win. All of which is to say we have come too far over thousands of years to allow leaders of any country, not the least of which is our own, to roll back laws or place stumbling blocks in the way to exercise the right to vote. The question comes up all the time, and I have fielded them once or twice stepping off this bema. Rabbi, what does our obligation to vote or being involved with other political issues have to do with Judaism? And from the pulpit of all places. And it is a fair and important question to ask. And the only way a rabbi can answer such a question is drawing from the wisdom of our own tradition. Well, this came up as I and my small group of colleagues, my chavruta, were studying with Dr. David Ellenson, Chancellor Emeritus of the Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion, our alma mater. Uh, and Rabbi Ellenson introduced us to, to actually a number of texts, but there is one in particular um, that I want to share with you tonight connected to the obligation to register to vote and to exercise our right to vote. And this is from the highly respected Rav Moshe Feinstein in a letter he wrote to the Jewish community October 3rd, 1984. On reaching the shores of the United States, he wrote, Jews found a safe haven the rights guaranteed by the United States Constitution and the Bill of Rights 
have allowed us the freedom to practice our religion without interference and to live in this republic in safety. A fundamental principle of Judaism is hakarot, hakarat hato, recognizing benefits afforded to us and giving expression to our appreciation. Therefore, Rav Feinstein wrote, it is incumbent upon each Jewish citizen to participate in the democratic system which guards the freedoms we enjoy. The most fundamental responsibility of each individual is to register and to vote. Therefore, he concluded, I urge all members of the Jewish community to fulfill their obligation by registering as soon as possible and by voting. By this, we can express our appreciation and contribute to the continued security of our community. So tonight we celebrate 100 years of women's suffrage. We reflect on thousands of years of creating restraints on power while asserting the rights of citizens, all citizens, to decide who will represent us. We advocate for issues that reflect our values, always striving to create a more perfect union. Tonight, hear our biblical words echo across the millennia. Hear our obligation as American Jews, all citizens, don't stand on the sidelines. Register to vote, help others to register, vote, and get out the vote. Here are the principle, hakarat hato, recognize our blessings and show gratitude as American citizens by being civically engaged. That's our obligation as Jews.